Hey, it's Paulette again, and I'm honored to bring you another episode here on the Thriving in Chaos Project, now in its fourth season. I bring you resilient survivors, key resources, and experts in their fields to lighten the load and shine a light on the path forward from confusion to conclusion through all things divorce and transformation. So let's get started. I'm hosting a retreat in Belize. Some of you may know, but I used to live there. And Belize is a melting pot of culture that carries over into the food, the music, and the fun. It is the best of both vibes from jungles to ground you and beaches to heal and soothe. I lived there for many years and go back and forth between there and Atlanta because I can't get enough. My co-host, Tiara, visited me and didn't want to leave either. No one does. This is paradise, folks. My co-host here and I chatted about the perfect all-inclusive location for you ladies that are going through a pivot in your life and need to reset, renew, and rebuild, and we nailed it. We kick off with a three-day adventure in the luxurious eco-resort Kapal Tree in the southern Belize jungle, followed by three luxurious days on Thatch K Island, a private island over water oceanfront oasis in the turquoise Caribbean along the Belize Barrier Reef. Whether you're going through or just coming out of a divorce, especially with a narcissist, a career change, or you just want to get back to the parts of you that you haven't seen in a while, we are talking to you. Make note, May 4th to the 10th, 2024, and start packing. Space is very limited on the private island and in the jungle. Be sure to act now. We have a passion for leading truly transformational healing events from heart-opening, accessible guided meditations to connection-based life-changing tools and practices. We curate each moment with care and compassion to ensure every lady is taken care of from the initial registration to the final namaste. It's better in Belize. Hello and welcome back to the Thriving in Chaos Project, the podcast with your host, Paulette Rigo. About five years ago, I started this podcast to give anyone who's out there listening who has questions and concerns and um, just confusion over their marriage, their relationship, and potentially divorce. So with no further delay, I welcome Sarah Madden Armstrong to the podcast today. I'm just going to give you a brief introduction as to who she is so we can not waste a moment on her depth of knowledge that she's here to share with you. But Sarah is an author and a recognized marketing industry thought leader, and she wrote The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce. That's right, everyone. Not A Mom's Guide to a bad divorce or just a mom's guide to divorce, but a mom's guide to a good divorce. 
And it's got a little subtitle of what to think through when children are involved. And that's really mindful. I love that because naturally, um, if we're going to use the word mother, that means that it's not all about us anymore. Because once you know, you're, you can't be a little bit pregnant, everyone. You're either pregnant or you're not. And I also use that analogy in you're either married or you're not. So you can't be a little bit married. You can't be a little bit pregnant. And I think that's, um, it's a forever thing, right? Where you're, you're now bringing this beautiful life into the world. Sometimes we're prepared. Sometimes we're not. And there's no instruction guide. You can read all those, um, Brazelton books and what to expect when you're expecting. But once they hand the cute little baby to you all swaddled and the nurse leaves the room and you go, excuse me, what, do, what am I doing? Um, and even if you've babysat or you had siblings, it's different. So now you're married and you have this baby. And what do you do when you, many years later, when the marriage maybe isn't functioning or healthy. You find Sarah's book. So I welcome you to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you for your time and your expertise. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much, Paula. It's so great to be here with you. I appreciate that. So tell me a little bit about, you know, why you chose to write this book and your journey, because I think that's a fascinating story. Yeah. So it's interesting because I never expected to write a book. Um, I've been in the, you know, the, the marketing world for the last 30 years. And, um, you know, it was obviously a turn of events in my life that led me to write this book. Um, my daughter, Grace, was seven when we we ended up deciding to get a divorce. And um, after my divorce, over about five years, I had friends that would come to me and say, will you help me think through it? I want to go through divorce similar to what you did. And I like to start by saying, Paulette, I'm not an advocate for divorce. I think couples should stay happily married for the long term. But unfortunately, as you know, um, that is uh, not always the case. And so um, these friends come to me and ask me you know, for help. And I'd, I'd walk through the process with them over the course of years. And at the end of it, they'd say, well, you should really write this guidance down. And I'd laugh and I'd say, oh, yeah, and think that's never happening. I honestly, I was very busy with my career and raising grace. And so I was actually at a business dinner in Latin America in Mexico City. And a colleague and friend uh, turned to me and he said, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, yeah. He goes, but you're divorced. And I said, Selma, getting a divorce is not a death sentence. My ex-husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other. I am happy. Grace is happy. My ex-husband is happy. We're all happy. And I said, you know, it's funny, a number of my friends have asked me to kind of write down my guidance and write a book. I said, you really should. So the next morning, I flew out of Mexico City on Delta, and I opened my laptop, and the first line I wrote was, this book is written by a girl who got a divorce, who never expected to get a divorce, and what she learned along the way. Mm. And that's the first line in my book um, now. And so the the book actually was written on Delta, primarily on Delta, because I traveled internationally for my job. So about 85 to 90% of it was written at 30,000 feet. Um, so I wrote it over the course of a year. Um, then, honestly, I got busy at work and did not touch it. And then uh, I opened my file one day and looked and said, are you just going to be a file on my laptop or am I going to do something with you? Mm -hmm. And so long story short, this was in 2015, heading into 2016. And so I put some focus on it and then had it out in the world in mid-2016. And then I actually uh, did an update to it in 2020, right before the pandemic. Hmm. Okay. So, well, you're, 
Yeah, it's an organic process, and I myself being an author too understand because when I first started to write, um, the first thing I ever wrote was a curriculum, um, which is very, you know, academia and it's, it's an outline, it's kind of dry and boring, but it really allows and teaches you to write an outline, right? So whether you're writing about, um, I don't know how to plant tomatoes or, you know, whatever, it, it it's all going to start the same way with an outline. But how common is it? And anyone that's out there that's thinking of writing a book and it's more common than you realize, Sarah, right? You, you have to start with an idea and a, an ideal reader and an outline. But how common is it that you start it and then you put it down and yeah, you come up to it like, I don't know, later? So yeah, I think it's, I, and again, this is the only one I've written, but it's interesting when I went through this process, um, you know, it was a, it was a moment where I had to kind of stop and say, am I going to do something? You know, am I going to really put some focus on this? And what also prompted me is a conversation, um, the, the whole genesis of a good divorce, the concept of a good divorce actually mm -hmm. came from Grace. So at age eight, a year after we'd gotten divorced, we're standing in the CBS at the checkout counter and there's a People magazine cover with a celebrity couple that's getting a divorce. And she looks at me and she goes, mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce? Oh. And I said, Grace, I go, I don't know. What's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce? She goes, well, good divorce is when the mommy and daddy are nice to each other like you and daddy, and a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. Mm. And I said, Grace, you know, it's hard to tell from a magazine cover how, what that divorce is. But as I walked out of the CBS that you call that, I thought whatever my ex-husband and I were doing, mm. a year after our divorce, if our daughter could call it a good divorce and refer to it that way, mm. I thought that was the right path. I thought, you know, what we were doing, we need to continue doing what we're doing if that's how she could frame it to, to me at that point. Mm. Beautiful. That's such a, not a sound bite, but a, a profound moment in a mother's life, right? Um, I myself didn't have that experience. But I, I had that more of the experience that it was more of just being ignored or disregarded. Like I didn't exist. You know, I was some sort of like, I don't know, foreign entity. Um, and every divorce is different, listeners, right? So, you know, depending on how old the children are, how many there are, and the, the complexities of the nuances of the marriage itself, too. But what a wonderful thing to be able to have a role model or a guide for what it can look like. And I had role models, too, and that's why I was optimistic that it could be better. But Sometimes it, it just doesn't go down that road. But, you know, you have a really diverse background, Sarah. You attended Georgetown University as a scholarship athlete, which is very interesting, earning a Bachelor of Science degree from the School of Business and Administration with a major in marketing, right? So, you know, you had a different vision. And here you were from what uh, you shared with me earlier that you lived in Atlanta, but you worked for Coca-Cola, which is a big Atlanta company. Everyone, if you don't know that you've been living under a rock um, and you were there for 20 years in global marketing and led the company's approach to agency management. And then your work was recognized as industry leading around the world, resulting in being named one of ad age women to watch and 10 who make the mark in 2009. So I bring this up because you had a successful career. You had um, 
you know, a lot going for you. And so without getting into details, was the divorce a shock? Was it a mutual decision? Did it come out of nowhere? Because I find people really need to hear that relatable story. Go, ah, so what happened with you? Was it, was it a shock? Yeah, it was, it was a, a mutual decision. So that uh, we decided that this was what we needed to do. And I think the interesting thing that I generally say is, you know, no one gets married to get divorced. Mm -hmm. No one generally gets divorced for positive reasons. But the, the thing for me with getting divorced is I had watched really ugly divorces, Paulette, growing up. Really ugly. And my parents, by the way, have been married for 55 years. They're the, they're the picture of partnership and just the most amazing marriage. So that was my model. But when we got to this point where we were going to go through this process, you know, children do not get to make the decision of whether their parents get divorced, and they're the ones that are most significantly impacted. So I said to my ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-husband, I want to do this differently. I don't want to have grace be the collateral damage that kids can be um, during the divorce process and what I watched growing up. And so it was a mutual decision. We arrived at it, and then we decided to go um, through, we, we actually went through the collaborative process um, at the time. For those listeners who know, that means you have a coach and then you do have lawyers, but they come in once you've kind of made your decisions. Um, the important part about that is there was a, uh, a, a, a child specialist that worked with Grace, and then there's a financial neutral. So it is a kind of a team approach. But to, to, to give the relatability is that it wasn't something I ever planned to do. I, it's like, it's one of those things I say, it's not like you grow up saying, okay, when I get divorced, this is how I'm going to handle it. You know, that's, you know, you don't, you aren't prepared. And I wasn't prepared, even at the time that we jointly made that decision for all that was going to come at me. And so interestingly, you know, people would give me books and open them and close them. And I was like, I can't even handle that. And I was the first of my friends to go through this. So I didn't have kind of a, um, friends that I could go to and say, Hey, how, you know, how did you go through it? So for us, it was a little, you know, it's like, it's all trial and error, as you know, and going through these processes, but um, we worked through it. And I do have to say, um, you know, there were poignant moments along the way. And one of the ones that probably struck me the hardest is when we went to meet with the child specialist before we were going to go and um, tell Grace that she, that we were going to be doing this. And the child specialist looked at me and goes, Sarah, do you travel? And I said, yeah, I, I travel internationally for my role. And he looked at my ex-husband and he says, do you travel? He says, yes, I travel domestically. He said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel the next 11 years back and forth between your two homes. And she's going to have to pack a bag. And I burst into tears, Paul. Mm -hmm. tears Because I thought that's not what I want for her. I don't want her to feel like she's a professional traveler packing a bag every week. Mm -hmm. So I walked out that day and I said to my ex-husband, I want to figure out how we do this in such a way where Grace doesn't feel like she's a professional traveler. Mm. I know that there's some socioeconomic considerations when we say this, but we just tried to, you know, we tried to make sure that all the basics were at both homes and everything so that Grace could leave for school and just have her backpack. She didn't have to carry that extra bag because she was going to sleep at mom or dad's house that night. Mm -hmm. And so now... I always joke that somehow there were too many socks in one house for another that happened. Over it's never perfect. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's like things get out of balance. But um, what we decided is that, again, if things got out of balance at our homes, it was for my ex-husband and I to rebalance her clothes, not for Grace at age seven, eight, nine, ten, to figure out why she didn't have enough socks in one house versus another. That's She didn't choose to look in those two homes. We did that for her. Right. 
So this was just that moment when he called her a professional traveler. And then the steps we took to try to minimize the feeling of her packing a bag is an example of just the, the, the small but important things we need to do as parents. And to your point earlier, when we bring these kids into the world, you know, it's, you know, we, we, we make a commitment that we're going to bring them into the healthiest, happiest, safest environment possible. And when we go through divorce, you know, it can become very toxic. And that toxicity can happen and be for weeks, months, years. And so I joke that we like cover the plugs, we put bike helmets on them, you know, we feed them organic milk, we do all these things to make them healthy and feel healthy. But then in a divorce, we can forget that. And we can literally let them sit in this toxic environment. And so I really think it's up to us to be thoughtful about how what we're doing and how we're engaging with their children and with their potential ex-spouse when they're around, when the kids are around. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. So you both made a mutual decision-ish that the marriage needed to end. Now, how did you come about the decision? Because there are five methods to divorce. How did you come about finding the collaborative process? Because, you know, sometimes depending on what state you're in, and of course, everybody has to remember that, uh, depending on where you live, um, collaborative law or the collaborative family law is either very popular or nobody knows what the heck it is. So, um, and it doesn't have the highest success rate. Yeah. So it is one of those forms or methods of divorce that either works or it doesn't. And it can be costly based on your case. So how did you stumble upon the method and why do you think it was successful? Yeah, so we, I had done some research and because I was not looking to have what I would say the combative approach to divorce, I was just saying. Known as litigation. What other, what other options are out there? And so that's when I learned that in the state of Georgia, collaborative divorce is, is a, is a practice that's recognized. And so I just did some research and then found a lawyer that was within the collaborative network. And, and then that kind of unfolds from there. They have their network of individuals and, and to your point about expense, it was interesting. I actually found it to be much more cost efficient for us, at least, because we also came in prepared. You know, they told us the questions right. that we needed to think through. Yeah. I did our respective homework. We talked to our respective coaches and you're not paying coaches the same that you would pay a lawyer. Um, and we actually went through in a very relatively cost efficient manner of, of going through a divorce and our whole divorce from, from making the decision to being divorced was less than six months. And so it was fairly expedient. Once we had made that decision, we were focused on doing the right thing for grace every step of the way. And right. I think that was, that was our North star. You know, that was what the parenting plan that we went through defining all the details on all of those things were really with, with her in mind. And you're correct with that. So it, it can be efficient and it can be cost effective, but I just want people to remember that it, it's case dependent. Absolutely. It really does require both parties to make the commitment to go through the process together in a transparent, cooperative, collaborative way, right? Hence the term, right? Yeah. Um, and it usually gets cost prohibitive or fails when one party isn't doing that, Absolutely. right? Or there's a little bit of a one step forward, two steps back kind of thing, or two steps forward, one step back, in, instead of both parents or both partners being congruent in their decision making. Not that you're making the decisions together all the time, but, but you know, that you're both on board 
Yes. Yeah. No. And I agree with you. I think if if not handled in a certain way, it can anything can draw any any of the differences can right. take something you would want or expect. Right. And I do think it's about putting a focus on: Do you want to move through this process in a manner? And I, for me, it was just about getting through it so we could move on. All of us mm-hmm. move on. Happier right. place. And so, the longer you draw out the process, you know, the further away that potential of moving on and. and mm-hmm to a happier life can, can be. So I think that was our goal. Yes, and it does make me very happy in the collaborative process, as you well pointed out, is that you have other professionals at your disposal when and if you need them. So it isn't like you're putting all your, you know, what's that saying, chips in, you know, for just having the attorney there, that they're the end-all, be-all answer, communicate, communication throughout it. It's not that you're not relying on them for legal counsel and advice and the checks and making sure that everything is um, just so. But, you know, maybe they're not always the one to have the question or uh, to answer the question when it comes to those other aspects, like you mentioned, the financial, the fiduciary part of it, insurance and taxes, the the real estate, the mortgage, the children, you know, those all those other little messy pieces of every situation is different. The attorney may not be the person to answer that particular question. And then knowing that you have a Rolodex or a team at your disposal when and if you need it is so affirming that you have that expert um, on your team. Now, if you don't have kids, obviously you probably aren't listening to this podcast. So they're not going to, um, or if you have teen, you know, older children too, right. And you don't have to worry about a parenting plan. You're not going to need that expert is my point. And if you don't own property, then that's going to, you know, make things different. So there, the, the team approach isn't there so that you have to utilize every member of the team. It's there so that you have the person you need when you need them. Because it's really um, scary to be Googling at two in the morning, um, which is the joke, but not really. Um, All these crazy scenarios and what ifs, and you just don't know who to turn to. And just because something is on the internet, people, doesn't mean it's true. So be sure to fact check and, and get the right professional that can answer the question for you. So now if somebody were to meet you and they read your book or they haven't read it yet or they heard this podcast or they found your book or stumbled upon it and they're really at that beginning stages or maybe not the beginning, 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 but you know, where we call contemplation of the, the two years of, um, stewing in confusion, wallowing in it, you know, but they're really at the place where they know that divorce is likely to happen. And, and, and they come to you like help. Where do you start? You know, it's interesting. I, I start actually with the, with their mindset, like where they're, where they are in their headspace and then talk the practicalities. Okay. So first is like, how do you want to approach this? Like, what is your intent in this? whole decision that you're making. And again, to your point, I'm not looking to talk them into doing this, but if they're at that point, mm-hmm. so I started with just having a real discussion around their mindset being so essential. And then to your point, it's, it's all the decisions of the approach you want to take to divorce, you know, finding that team, whatever that team structure is. And then, you know, I do think there's an important part of this of figuring out 
who is your then support network that's going to go through this with you personally and having those individuals and it doesn't it shouldn't probably be a big <laughs> a big crew keeping it small i think is easier but having figuring out who are those that are going to kind of go through the steps with you um and then one of the things that i talk about in my book and it it it's a muscle that I think we need to build. And I talk about developing a compartmentalization muscle. And the reason I think that's important is this is such an emotional roller coaster that you're on. And there's going to be times when you need to let those emotions out and they need to come out. But the question is, are your children in view and around when those emotions come out? Or do you say, you know what, I'm not going to do that right now because that will be the memory these my kids have of this mm -hmm. moment or this discussion or this right. interaction. And I, so I talk about the fact that we, I do Pilates and I joke that, you know, if you, fo you focus on getting a strong core muscle. And I think one of the most important muscles for us to develop as humans, and quite honestly, not just for going through divorce, is something where you can compartmentalize and, and not to put those emotions inside and never deal with them, but just figure out when is the right time to allow those emotions to come out so it doesn't um, end up being that toxic environment for your children. So that's another piece that I talk about up front is just really being conscious about that. That's a good point. Uh, I like to call them buckets, you know. Um, right. And, and I do see that mistake happening because the person doesn't feel as if they have a safe, sacred person or container in their cir circle of sphere of influence or their uh, support system. Uh, you know, that's an old term, but the, to in, in which to um, dump on. Um, so they, they feel vulnerable and they just can't um, process that certain emotions are for certain times and places and to certain people. And, and they also will vent in inappropriate manners, not just times, using social media as a place to just vent um, and, and to, uh, creating text wars, I call them, you know, just sending those um, inappropriate text messages. And so if they don't have that BFF, family member, coworker, neighbor, whatever that person is, you really have to secure that person because if you don't, it's going to wreak havoc and you're going to spew all that venom and that fear to your children or all that, um, you know, anger and sadness to your spouse. And they're really not the person. Once you file for divorce or you're in the process of divorce, the role of your spouse being that go-to person to vent to isn't the go-to person to vent to anymore. And that takes some serious shifting of thought. Many people don't understand that that your old, your spouse isn't the person to vent to anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And so that is, it's a matter of finding who is that, who is that safe circle that you can vent to at any, at any hour of the day, to your point, <clears throat> morning or night. And uh, it is an important piece of it. Well, um, when someone is, you know, co-parenting and, and those of you that have listened to me before, I've, I use the term that there's many different methods of 
co-parenting after divorce. You've got that method of what we consider parenting, you know, when you're married and you're parenting. That's kind of the, you know, we're making decisions together and doing this as best we can. Um, but then co-parenting comes along when there's two separate households and there's two sets of rules. But for the most part, the parents are trying to have those rules, guidelines be the same or similar. Right. We don't deliberately try to make them differently, different, but sometimes they become more of uh, parallel parenting or counter parenting. So and I see that sometimes when there's this feeling of vindictiveness, when they want to get back at them. You know, we're going to use the silly examples of the socks. But, you know, in, in a normal kind of co-parenting situation, it's, you know, so Maybe she goes to school without socks today, or she, you lend her your pairs, or, you know, you run out to the dollar store or wherever and pick up, I don't know, a bucket of the darn things because they're a dollar. Well, they're a dollar 25 now, but you know what I mean. And, um, or, you know, you, you problem solve, but in a, in a situation where the co-parenting, uh, journey isn't so, healthy, um, it's now going to turn into a nasty email, a nasty text message. Um, oh, your mother this or your father that. And they're always unprepared. And oh, oh my God, they let you go to school without socks. You know, there's some, it's blown out of proportion to some level in which you're now being perceived as some negligent, um, uh, selfish, you could probably put a few more words in there, parents because you weren't aware enough or didn't plan or, you know, didn't do the laundry appropriately, right? And, um, and, and then, you know, when it really gets bad, you know, they're going to send a letter to their attorney to then send a letter to your attorney because they want to, um, change the parenting agreement because, you know, the socks went, they went to school with the wrong color socks on. So now I know that's a very extreme, crazy example, but she's nodding her head if you're listening to the audio. It's not that far-fetched, Sarah, right? You know, you have to litmus test your uh, degree in which it really truly matters. And that's where the age of the child and the incident is going to be case by case. But it's I see so often that mo many people going through divorce can really get extremely emotional about things that really just don't matter. I agree. And, you know, the other thing is, I mean, I talk about taking the high road and I say sometimes the high road is a really steep climb. You know, <laughs> it, it's not an easy climb. It's like you're hiking. But, you know, at, at those moments and in those moments when you are getting caught in that negativity swirl that can happen, it's taking a step back, taking a deep breath and saying, I just, this is not how I want to live my life. Right. And, you know, there was an interesting moment when Grace was sixth grade and we were five years out of, out of our divorce and we went into a parent-teacher conference with Grace, Matt's husband and I, and we sat down and went through this hour-long conversation and the teacher stopped at the end and she goes, wait a minute, are, are you two divorced? And I said, well, yeah, we've been divorced for five years. She said, well, I had no idea. And I said, well, it did occur to me to walk in and say, hi, we're divorced. Can we now talk about Grace's education? She said, it really shouldn't matter. And she said, right. you'd be surprised at how few divorced parents can come into this office for an hour and sit down and talk about their child's education together. It is very, very rare. And by the way, Grace is hearing this. And, she's, and, the, and the teacher says, it just makes me really sad. Mm. And I said, it makes me sad, too, because what's more important 
to two parents than how their child was doing in school and them hearing the same message from that teacher of how the year's going and how and and mm. what their child's doing there. And so uh, to your point about you know being able to set aside some things and saying, you know, what's important right now? This moment. This moment is about our child and our education. Not about the fact that we got divorced, not the fact that we can't stand each other. Okay, fine. But that those are those moments where I feel like we have to be the adult. We are the parents. I need to the road. And I know that that's hard. What I'm saying, I realize it's very hard to do, but our children deserve it. They did not choose this. They didn't choose that, they're, that they'd have to go to two parent-teacher conferences so they can sit in the room with their teacher twice so that their mom can hear it one time and the dad can hear it. Like, they shouldn't have to do that. Right. Yeah. You know, I do have, um, many clients are, that are able to go to meetings together and, uh, what do we say? You know, agree to disagree or just be civil or cordial or polite. But I also then see the ones that are even further manipulative where they will agree to go to the meeting, put on a happy face and, and show up, but there's an ulterior motive behind it. You know, it, it, it looks good on paper. We go to the meetings together and we sit next to each other and we talk about our son or daughter's academic grades and experience and all. Um, and we, you know, on paper, yep, they both went. Yep. But there was some, there was a deeper level to it when things start to get a little bit convoluted or manipulative. And, and sometimes that's a deeper layer than the child doesn't see that. They just see that mom and dad went to the meeting together. What's the big deal? So those of you that are listening that do have a spouse that maybe, yes, on paper, everything looks like they're cooperative and happy and, you know, but there's a, there's another reason why they're being a, a little bit. So the, the more you educate yourself and prepare yourself about how to react, how not to react, how to prepare things to avoid, mistakes to avoid, and having Sarah as your guide and, and her book, A Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, is definitely on your list. So how is the, how could people find your book and buy your book? Thank you. So um, the book is available on Amazon. It's available in paperback, um, ebook, and also I went into the studio and did an audiobook. So all three versions are available. And then right. you can also find me at www.gooddivorce.guide, which is my website. It has all information about the book and, and more details. Wonderful. I am now doing an audio version of my book too, because a lot of people enjoy listening. So not only can you have the book and the companion workbook, you can also have the online course and the audio book. So, um, thank you so much, Sarah. And, um, it is, um, very inspiring to, to meet you, uh, as a, a co, um, advocate for, uh, moms and divorcing families to divorce with dignity and grace. And even if you have to divorce, uh, to try to do it in an upstanding way, uh, we all make mistakes, but the more you can minimize those mistakes, the better. So thank you. And uh, she's a thriving example of thriving in the chaos. So thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you. And thanks everyone for listening. And until further. I will see you on the other side. Thanks for joining me today. If you were inspired by today's episode, please share it with a friend or a loved one. My hope is you feel empowered to take some action, no matter how big or small. 
action that allows you to step out of the chaos and thrive on your own terms. If this podcast added any value to your day, please review it on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, keep thriving in the chaos.